Welcome, everyone. It's a good day to be in God's Word. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple-Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. You can learn more about our work and how you can support it by going to traincpe.org. And to learn about our mission fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. But now, let's turn our attention to 2 Kings chapter 2 and the story of Elijah's ascension into heaven. God has made known to Elijah that he will be honored with the single greatest honor ever given up to that time to a servant of God. He is about to be swept up into heaven by the hand of God without seeing death. It's a glorious thing. During Elijah's ministry, he invited the people of Israel to behold the awesome power of God and to worship him alone. But on this occasion, Elijah attempts to keep the moment of his honor from the view of others. And so Elijah reveals, in part, the secret of his great power in ministry. But Elijah isn't wanting to draw focus to the honor of this event, even though he knows it's coming. He would leave with these pupils information that he would rather them focus upon. The work, the study, the word, the ministry that was theirs, the spirit in which they were to carry it out, the labor, the prayers, the blessings. Not his honor, not the glory that he was about to receive. Here's a picture of humility in ministry. The single greatest honor bestowed on any human in history up to this point, and Elijah wishes not to speak of it and is hesitant to permit anyone to view it. The greatest hindrance in being used of God is pride. And the greatest evidence that God is leading us into a life of holiness and Christ-likeness and a place of power and authority is humility. Elijah reveals to us now his strength. His strength before God and his strength before people and his power before God and his power before people and his strength is found in a deep, God-wrought humility. The Bible actually says of Moses that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And here's a rival, Elijah, in humility, showing us the secret. And by the way, listen, this is just something to judge when you find those that you want to learn from and those who will instruct you those that you're going to receive and somewhat follow to kind of lead you or guide you on the path of life that's before you. Listen and look for humility. Look how they engage life. The other one is they'll demonstrate it oftentimes at the place where they have to learn. Right? The person can feign humility until the point in which they're wrong and they're not willing to be taught. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he goes, oh, they weren't really humble at all. Bible warns us about people with false humility. But look for humility. It's the secret of an individual's power with God and his power to instruct us as well. And by the way, it's a picture of the Lord Jesus. Jesus who humbled himself to come to us, to take on flesh, who entered this world in a stable and left it, by the way, blessing only a few, who walked this world as a humble carpenter and avoided the crowds that would exalt him and make him a king And said that all that he did, he only did because the Father gave it to him to do. That he didn't do anything apart from the Father's leading and the Father's guiding. And that it wasn't of himself. And he was submissive and he was humble. And he was powerful. He was powerful. And this Lord would make your heart his home. He would domicile in your heart. That's humility, by the way. 
that Jesus would come and live in you and abide in you, and as he does and as he lives in you, this all-glorious, all-holy Savior, what he'll do as he lives in you and as he resides in you is he will not produce in you arrogance or pride or promotion or puffing up. He'll produce in you his humility and his meekness and his kindness and his love. Here's a sixth thing that Elijah teaches us. It's that service becomes a habit to the end. Service becomes a habit to the end. He turns to Elisha and says, what shall I do for you? His final question to Elijah, how can I help you? He's ever the servant to the very end, ever thinking of his sons and his daughters, ever seeking to give to the very last. He's wanting to bless in the very last conversation he has. Again, this is like the Lord Jesus. And that last supper, when the Lord Jesus is about ready to go to the cross and he's with his disciples, after the meal is over, what does the Lord Jesus do? He takes a towel of service and he wraps it around himself and he goes to each one of his disciples and he washes their feet. Having loved them, the Bible says he loved them to the end. He served them and he reminded them, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. When Jesus prayed for his disciples in that last hour, he was praying and thinking in his prayer was of his disciples. He said to the Lord in John chapter 17, all that you have given me I've kept, speaking of his disciples. I pray for them. Keep them from the evil one. Make them holy through your truth. I pray that they would be one in us. Father, I desire that one day they may be with me where I am. He's thinking of them. What Elijah does is so much like our Lord Jesus. Even as the Lord Jesus departed from his disciples, his hands were raised out to bless them. The Bible says that before he sent into heaven, he lifted up his hands and he blessed his disciples. He poured out his blessing upon them. He was thinking of them. I was thinking about this when my father passed away. He had had a stroke, and so he didn't have the ability to communicate to us very well on that last day. But he was concerned that all the affairs be put in place for my mother so she'd have nothing to worry about. And one of the things he was concerned about is that the cars would be taken care of. And so he kept repeating over and over again instructions to make sure that we would take care of the cars. It wasn't the cars that he was concerned about. He's concerned that my mother not have anything that she have to worry about or deal with. He, he would make sure it's taken care of. This is Christ-like ministry. It ends with a blessing. It ends with a service. It learns with an offering to give. And the reason it does is because that's how it begins. Christ-like ministry begins with seeking the blessing and giving the blessing and seeking to serve and seeking to provide and seeking to minister. And it sustains itself in that humble service throughout. That's what Elijah shows us. Service becomes a habit to the very end. Here's the seventh and last thing here. Elijah teaches us that it's no sin to look upon our loved ones at the point of parting. I think it's kind of interesting to me that Elijah is having a conversation with Elisha as they're walking along the way. I don't know if he was taken up in mid-sentence, but he's continuing his focus is on Elisha as they're going up and as he's getting ready to be taken. Now, we know in our passage that Elijah knows what's happening. Elijah knows what's before him. I don't know how much time before this Elijah was told that he's going to be taken up and brought up into heaven, but I would think that's pretty exciting news. You're not going to die, Elijah. You're going to be lifted up, and I'm going to take you into heaven. And, and here's a man that throughout his ministry had strove against the idolatry of his nation and experienced multiple contradictions and assaults against his life and had to flee for his life on multiple occasions. 
and he had to tread the sin-stained land of Israel as it grieved his soul. And God reveals to him, Elijah, I'm going to take you up and I'm going to take you like I took Enoch. And in just a short while, you're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And you're going to sing with Asaph, the psalmist. And you're going to be able to converse with David, the king. You're going to have an opportunity to meet Rahab and Deborah and Sarah and Ruth. And you're going to commune with hearts that have been made pure. Before my presence, you're going to go and worship me in my holy temple in heaven. What a great day. What a great honor. What joy was awaiting him. And God had made it known to him. What God has in store for his faithful servants. Better than anything that we've ever imagined or thought of. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for him, the Bible says. And Elijah knew it was coming. And God had given the promise. And it's building up. How would you not know that this was going to happen when you come to a river and the waters are there and you put your mantle down upon the river and the waters part? God is parting everything here. God is making the way for me to come into his presence. And yet as he goes up, he's talking to Elisha and just ministering to him and his focus is on Elisha. He's grabbing hold of the last moments of fellowship and communion with this dear one before he parts. You'd think that he would be so excited to go to heaven that he wouldn't be able to pay attention to Elisha. Elisha would be a distraction to him. I'm getting ready to go. That's not what happens. It's not what takes place at all. That's a false spirituality. The idea that we are so spiritual that we would be so looking forward to going to heaven that we just had a hard time paying attention to the people around us. Not true, not true. That's a false spirituality. He isn't thinking of glory just yet. It would be glorious beyond imagination. But he's, he's thinking of those young men in Jericho. He's thinking of Elisha. Paul, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, has been told by God that his time is short. He's actually in prison, and the, the situation is quite precarious. It could be that he's going to go to the execution. And Paul says, I'm, I'm kind of in a, I'm in a straight between two things. I'm kind of in a tight spot here because I, I want to depart and be with the Lord Jesus for me to live as Christ, but to die is gain. And I want the gain, but, but it's better that I remain with you. It's needful that I be with you. I don't know what to do. But Paul's focus is on those that it's needful to be with. Even his last days, Paul's eyes are on his spiritual family here on earth. Even an individual, if you read his life and read everything that Paul suffered, how he experienced shipwreck and how he was beaten multiple times and how he was stoned and men tried to put him to death and all the hardships that he went through and the contradictions. Yet in all of it, as he knows he's coming towards the end of his life, he still has his eyes on those that he's cared for and ministered to and those who are dear to him. Peter is told by God that he's going to soon depart. And so Peter writes his last letter, 2 Peter is Peter's last letter. And in the last chapter of that last letter, five times, he writes this tender word, beloved, 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 beloved. And his eyes are on those that he cared for and watched over. And on the day that my dad died, he lost eventually the ability to speak. He couldn't even talk about the cars he wanted us to fix or take care of. But he could pucker. And any time we got near to him, all he did was kiss us over and over again. His last words were, 
don't worry. And I'm so grateful. And then kisses and blessings. When the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, I don't think he was looking up into the clouds. I think he was looking down on his disciples and he was blessing them. And he was following their eyes, following him ascending from their presence because he loved them. It is not unspiritual to give a lingering look to those that you'll leave behind before you enter into all the glorious promises that God has for you. It's a gift from God. Here's the conclusion. And it's a gift because our Savior is so good and He loves so well and He pours that love in our hearts. May we crave after a holy life of service that concludes with a great spiritual family here on earth that we love dearly and find hard to leave. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Priorities are established, O God. They're established at the birth of a child and at the death of a loved one. The things that are most important in between are made known to us in those moments. Loving, caring for one another. Together, seeking your face and knowing you. Glorifying you. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.